The following sermon was delivered by Pastor Frank Griffith in the Sunday morning service at Calvary Community Church in Brentwood, California. You'll find more information at calvarytruth.org. Good morning. What a beautiful name it is. <laughs> I hope you know what the name Jesus means. It means uh, Jehovah's salvation. And... Uh, the reason God wanted to save us is because he made us for himself. And uh, we have wandered far away from him, but he's brought us back so close in the Lord Jesus Christ. And so we get to worship him and sing about him and pray together through him to the Father. In fact, why don't we take a moment to pray? Our Father, we are overwhelmed with the glory of your Son all of these promises that you've given us in him are glorious and wonderful and we experience them every day as we walk with you we thank you for the peace that you give us we thank you father for the forgiveness we have received for the new life we have for the holy spirit who lives within us and for our hope that he's coming back and we're going to spend eternity in your very presence we pray now as we look at your word that you would speak clearly to our hearts, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. As we come to the word now, I want you to turn with me to uh, Luke chapter 12. The folly of greed and anxiety. It's, it's funny, those two things go together. Sometimes we don't think about that, but they do. They're two different sides of the same problem. And in uh, in... in Luke chapter 12, Jesus is on his way to Jerusalem, and what happens is he is teaching his disciples. Now, he has called them to walk the way of the master, and they didn't know that meant walking to the cross, because that's where they're going. They're on their way to Jerusalem. But during this period of time, he teaches them, and there are so many teaching moments that he takes to teach them, and through them, we get taught through the word of God. And so I want you to turn there, if you would, and I think I'll just read this text first, and then we'll come back and look at it a little closer. But if you look at, uh, at Luke chapter 12, beginning in 13, it says, Someone in the crowd said to him, Teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. <laughs> but he said to a man who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you. Then he said to them, Beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. For not even when one has an abundance, listen to this, this is really important, not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Your life does not consist of your possessions. And he told them a parable saying, The land of a rich man was very productive. And he began reasoning to himself, that is to his own soul, and he's and saying, what shall I do since I have no place to store my crops? You know how that is, no place to put all your stuff that you've accumulated. Then he said, this is what I will do. I will tear down my barns and build larger ones. And there I will store all my grain and all my goods. I will say to my soul, the reason he's addressing his soul is your soul is that part of you, the inner life, Sometimes it's referred to as the sensory self. It's the, it's the part of you that experiences life. Um, when we worship God, we, we worship out of our soul and spirit. We, 
we come to actually experience the presence of God. We are made aware of just how glorious he is. And so he says to his soul, soul, you have many goods laid up for many years to come. Take your ease, eat, drink, and be merry. And God said to him, you fool, this very night your soul is required of you. And now who will own what you have prepared? In other words, maybe a foolish son is going to take it and squander it. So is a man who stores up treasure for himself and is not rich toward God. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor of your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storehouses nor barn. And yet God feeds them how much more valuable you are than the birds. <laughs> and ravens were unclean birds. They couldn't be offered as offerings to God. And he says, God feeds them, but you're more important to him. And which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, but I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory. Solomon was one of the richest men, and, and uh, he had outward glory of all kinds. And he says, but these lilies are more glorious than Solomon with his clothes that cost a fortune. But if God so clothes the grass in the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? And do not seek what you will eat and what you will drink, and do not keep worrying. For all these things the nations of the world eagerly seek, but your Father knows what you need, that you need these things. But seek his kingdom. And these things will be added to you. Do not be afraid, little flock, for your father has chosen gladly, or is gladly chosen to give you the kingdom. Sell your possessions and give to, the, give to charity, give to the poor. Make yourselves money belts which do not wear out, an unfailing treasure in heaven, where no thief comes near, nor moth destroys, for where your treasure is. There, your heart will be also. That is true. That's one of the most amazing thoughts. For where your treasure is, that's where your heart is. What do you treasure in life? That's where your heart is going to be. This is a parallel to um, Matthew 6. It may sound familiar to you. If you remember, Jesus says, Seek ye first the kingdom of God, and all these things will be added to you. And uh, it's a parallel to this very passage. But as Jesus is teaching them, he's teaching them what he sees to be as important for his disciples to know and understand. And so first of all, in verses 13 through 21, you have this. In fact, let me just put these two things up here. This, this This section of scripture, there's two things he talks about. First, he talks about, he gives them the parable of the rich fool in verses 13 through 21. And then he talks about anxiety. Anxiety over possessions. Now, listen again to verse 13 
and 14, someone in the crowd said to him, teacher, tell my brother to divide the family inheritance with me. Why would he say that? Well, for one thing, it was not uncommon for rabbis to give their opinion about legal matters and social matters. In fact, after this period, rabbis, Jewish rabbis would travel around giving people their opinion about what they ought to do, and they were considered to be, have, have real insight. Um, and, and this man, is what he's complaining about is his brother was probably his oldest brother who would receive the inheritance. This is the way it worked. The oldest brother would receive the inheritance, and then he was to dispense it to the other siblings. Sometimes that doesn't work out that way, does it? And so he's wanting Jesus to tell his brother to give him his part of the inheritance. But Jesus answers, and he says, man, who appointed me a judge or an arbitrator over you? Now, as I said, it was a common opinion that rabbis could render a judgment in ethical matters. They did all the time. Rabbis were often asked to do this. But Jesus' refusal doesn't mean he wasn't able or he didn't care But he wanted to deal with something far more important, something that the rabbis could not do, and that was to deal with the motive of the heart. Now, since he's talking to this man who's wanting his brother to give him his part of the inheritance, he deals with his motivation, not the brother. Then he said to them, to his disciples, beware and be on your guard against every form of greed. Greed is covetousness. Greed is always wanting more. All of you heard this little story about J. Paul Getty. It's probably apocryphal, but supposedly someone asked him, so how much is enough? Because he was one of the richest men in the world. How much is enough? And he said, just a little bit more. And that's greed. It's like we're never satisfied with what God has provided for us. That's greed. And so Jesus says, for not even when one has an abundance does his life consist of his possessions. Jesus sees this as a teaching moment. He wants them to learn something really important. By the way, I should say that um, this is something that pastors have to know because Paul, writing to Timothy, talked about this very thing. If you'll turn over to 1 Timothy, in 1 Timothy 6, Paul is instructing Timothy about his own life. He's talking to a pastor. And he's telling him how he, what his value system should be like. He says, back up in verse 3, if anyone advocates a different doctrine, that is, than the glory of Christ, that that's the center of everything. He is the center of everything. He said, if anyone does advocates a different doctrine does not agree with the sound words, those of our Lord Jesus Christ, and with the doctrine conforming to godliness, he is conceited and understands nothing, but he has a morbid interest in controversial questions and disputes about words out of which arise envy, strife, abusive language, and suspicions, and constant friction between men of depraved and deprived of the truth who suppose that godliness is a means of grace. Godliness is a means of grace. That's a lie. Godliness is a, I'm sorry, godliness is a means of gain. What that means is godliness, having outward godliness will, can make you a lot of money. That's what a lot of TV preachers have come to believe and propagate. But he says, but godliness actually is a means of great gain when accompanied by contentment. 
when accompanied by contentment. For we have brought nothing into this world, so we cannot take anything out of it either. If we have food and clothing and covering with these, we shall be content. But those who want to get rich fall into temptation and a snare and many foolish and harmful desires which plunge men into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, all sorts of evil. And some by longing for it have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. And he tells Timothy, flee from these things, you man of God, and pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, perseverance, and gentleness. So even before I could preach something like this, I better be practicing it. That's what God tells me. You better be practicing it if you're going to preach it because it's a high priority with God. Why is that? Because what he has given you is so valuable that there is nothing in all of life that you could pursue that could equal what God has given you in his grace. You can't buy it. You can't earn it. You don't deserve it. But he's given it to us. And so when we get, when our lives are, are driven by greed, when they're driven by covetousness, what we are saying is, yeah, sure, I, he forgave my sins, he gave me eternal life, he gave me the Holy Spirit, but I want something more. You hear the folly of that? And so he tells them this parable about the rich man who his crop is so successful he doesn't know what he's going to do because his barns are full and so he knows what he's going to do he's going to tear them down and build bigger barns he uses this this parable here to illustrate his point the man in the parable presses expresses in his own words the attitude Jesus discerns not only in the inquirer that has just asked him this but in others as well in fact in verse 21 he says anyone who says this the word for fool here in, in Scripture, in the New Testament, the normal word for fool, fool is moron. It's actually pronounced that way, moria or moron. But this is a different word. This word here is, talks about a certain kind of folly, a certain kind of foolishness. It's one who rejects the knowledge and precepts of God as a basis of life. What drives my life? That's what he's talking about. And he said he's a fool because... He does, he's not driven by the truth that God has unveiled to us. He's driven by something else, and that's the pursuit of more things. Isn't it a pain to store all that stuff that we have? Isn't, isn't it a pain? I bought, we bought six acres 15 years ago, 20 years ago, and uh, I can't tell you how that six acres fills up with other people's stuff, and then <laughs> some of our stuff too. And it brings no joy. How foolish it is for us to be driven by acquisition, by, by greed, by getting more things. And, the, and what Jesus is, is underscoring here is the fact that ultimately we'll have to leave it all. It's like that. I forget what this story was, but about a man who died and somebody asked him, well, how much did he leave? And the answer was he left everything. That's what you're going to do. You're going to leave everything. You're going to take nothing with you because what you have in store for you in the presence of the living God cannot be valued. You can't, you can't even begin to value the glory of in the being in the presence of God for all eternity. That's amazing, isn't it? I got a, an email yesterday from 
uh, Tom Johnson over in um, Napa, and it was a kind of an update of a young man. He, lo- he looks like he's still in his teens. He might be 20, but he's over in Uganda. He's taken a month over there and touring around and stuff, and he's so excited about what he's experiencing. You know, working in the fields with the Ugandans, ministering to them, discipling, and that kind of thing. I wanted to show a video this morning, but it didn't work out. It's a video of an 18-year-old kid who's dying. He's been told. He's, had, he's just got leukemia for the fourth time. It keeps coming back. He's had three um, bone marrow transplants, and it hasn't worked. But he's speaking to a youth group. He's 18 himself. He's speaking to a youth group. It's down in Southern California, Cornerstone, where uh, Francis Chan used to be. They happened to videotape it. It's astounding. He died about a month after he gave this talk. And he told him that his doctor told him there was nothing else they could do. And so he said, well, if there's nothing else you can do, then how long do I have to live? Finally, the doctor told him, you have three months, give or take. And that had been two months before this. But I've never heard a kid, I've never heard a young person give the gospel so clearly. And he said the reason he wasn't afraid was he knew where he was going because he had believed in his heart and confessed with his mouth that Jesus, mouth with Jesus Christ is alive and that he believed that he had been raised from the dead and he's Lord. And he said, I know exactly where I'm going. He said, the only thing I'm afraid of is you. I don't know if you really believe what you should believe. I don't know if you really have come to faith in this living Savior that we have. And if you haven't, the kicker is, he says, you're all dying too. You just don't know when. I know I'm dying. I may not live another day. And I have absolute contentment because I know where I'm going. And I know that I'm going to be in the presence of the Lord. So powerful to hear somebody who knew that they were dying and actually knew that their faith in Jesus Christ was going to take them into the very presence of God, that their sins were forgiven. It's really, it's really a shame when, when people um, become sinos, C-I-N-O. That's, a, that's Christian in name only. That's when a person uh, joins up with some other Christians, joins up with some Christians, and everybody assumes they're, they're born again, but they've never been born again. They've never put their faith in Jesus Christ. They may even like the lifestyle of most Christians. They might like hanging out with Christians, but they've never experienced a new birth. And if you remember, Jesus told Nicodemus, the teacher of Israel, that he could not enter into the kingdom or see the kingdom unless he'd been born again. You must be born again. And the new birth is coming to have, comes about, and the result of it is you come to believe that the Lord Jesus Christ died for your sins and he was buried and raised again and that by believing in him, you would receive eternal life and enter into the, the very family of God. And that's what we're called to proclaim. And it would be a killer to think that our church was made up of Christians in name only who had never experienced the new birth. That would be horrible, wouldn't it? And God wants you to experience the real thing. You know that last song we sang, what a beautiful name it is? That is so true. He's he's Jehovah's salvation. He's the only one who can save you. He's the only one who can forgive your sins and bring you into the family of God and give you heaven, give you an eternity with the living God. 
on this new earth when he comes back to make it brand new. He's a wonderful Savior. What a wonderful name it is, the one that we serve. And then this man who stores up this treasure for himself and isn't rich toward God. Why isn't he rich towards God? Because he hasn't invested in the right thing. Oh, he has great crops. Jesus, in Matthew 6, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, but instead store up treasures in heaven. You know, I learned this lesson a long time ago, back in 1971. uh, We were up in Idaho. We moved to Idaho to get away from everybody and everything. And, And so we're up there and I, I've told this before that I, I thought I had so much money because I had $10,000. That seemed like a fortune to me. But I was nervous about what I was going to do with it. I was afraid it was just going to get used up if I didn't invest it in something. $10,000. It's nothing, is it? But it seemed like a lot to me. And somehow God showed me in his word that the only thing I could invest in that was certain was heaven. And the way that you invest in heaven isn't to send it to heaven or to Santa Claus. It's, it's that you use it to, to do the will of God. You love people. You invest in people. You give to people. This is why you have these constant uh, commands of Jesus to his disciples. Give it away. Give it to those who are in need. You remember when Apple Computer had $12 billion in cash? That was when Steve Jobs was alive. Steve Jobs was alive and they had $12 billion cash. But they couldn't, they didn't want to bring it back into the United States because of the taxes. So I think it was in Ireland, I think is where it was, $10 billion. Guess what Steve Jobs did with that $12 billion? Nothing. He died. And he never saw a penny of it. He never saw it. $12 billion. Now that that money was safe, but he died. He wasn't safe. I can remember him talking about people who tried to share the gospel with him and how he just couldn't buy it. He just couldn't buy it. And of course, you can't buy the gospel. All you can do is receive it as a gift. But he couldn't receive it. And he died in spiritual poverty. And his $12 billion provided nothing for him. Nothing. See, the only way that we can invest in heaven is by using the resources God gives us for the kingdom of God. And that's not hard to figure out. It really isn't. God brings people in your life all the time that you can invest in, not because they're going to make you money, but because they have a need and you can meet that need. You can have a purse that has no holes in it, Jesus says. And that purse is when you invest in the kingdom of God. Amazing. Well, the next section in verses 22 through 34 is about anxiety over possessions. It's bad enough that you, that we can suffer with greed and always think we have to have more. But then when you get the more, you're full of anxiety over it. You know what anxiety is. Anxiety, 
Anxiety is that feeling you have when you're driving from here to San Diego or here to uh, Phoenix, Arizona. You're out in the desert. You're going along there and you see a sign that says, next gas, 180 miles. And you look at your gas gauge and you're below empty. You know that feeling? You ever had that feeling before? That's anxiety. You don't have the resources to face the challenge. Anxiety means to have a divided mind. There's something that's so pressing on you, you can't stop thinking about it. Your mind just keeps going there. You can't keep your mind on what's at hand. You keep thinking about this. And uh, anxiety over possessions is something. This section here in verses 22 through 34 is, except for the last three verses, is exactly what Jesus says over in Matthew 6, which is the Sermon on the Mount. In the Sermon on the Mount, both passages reveal the folly of storing up things for yourself. And this passage ends with a saying about one's treasure. The word treasure here is the word thesaurus. That's how we pronounce the Greek word. You know what a thesaurus is, don't you? It's, it's a treasure of words. And you, go, you open a thesaurus, you can find 56 ways of saying thank you. Or dog, or whatever. And what he's saying is, is it, it, this word thesaurus is related to the word to store up, thorizomai. In other words, uh, when we store up things for ourselves, what it's going to do is produce anxiety. You know how today everybody's worried sick about security? That your, is your stuff secure? Is your password secure and your bank account and all those things? And you can get into some programs that guarantee to protect your privacy and, and all that stuff. But then you wonder if maybe they're using all this information they have of yours to steal your money. Anxiety. What Jesus was implying by this warning back in the, the parable is explicitly commanded here. Believers should not act like the pagan world, the Gentile world, represented by the rich fool in this parable. That possessions is my life. You ever talk to somebody, and as they tell you about their life and what's going on, you can tell that they think their possessions are their life? Your possessions are not your life. You know what your life is as a believer? Your life is absolutely glorious. It's the Lord Jesus Christ. You ever have those moments when that hits you and you can't contain the emotions of it? That he has made you rich beyond compare because he has given you his son to live in you? I mean, this is absolutely astounding that the Bible teaches that believers in this new covenant era, that Jesus comes and lives within us. And we have fellowship with him. We walk with him. We walk with Jesus. We live our lives in fellowship with him. See, that's true riches. And so to worry about our possessions is such folly. But listen to this, verse 22. And he said to his disciples, for this reason I say to you, do not worry about your life as to what you will eat, nor for your body as to what you will put on. For life is more than food and the body more than clothing. 
He's talking now specifically to his disciples. And this comment about food comes first in both these verses, in verses 22 and 23, and then clothing, the most basic necessities of life. But isn't it something how they can become so important to, you, to us? They become our identity when they're, when they're nothing. I remember talking to this really very rich man over in Berkeley. He owned a, the Volvo dealership. And I went in one day, to, I needed to talk to him about something, I was talking to him, and he had tennis shorts on. And he was, a, he was an old guy, about my age, now. Uh, and he says to me, he said, it's really funny, I always come in here after I go play tennis, and he says, people come in to look at a car, and when I go to talk to them, it's like they're offended that they have to talk to me. I look like some guy just came off the street. They don't know that I own this place, and I own every car in here. But it means nothing, does it? See, you, you are rich beyond the ability to even measure because you have Christ Jesus as your Savior, as your constant companion, that there's nothing that you face in life without him as a believer. He's always there. And so not only we're not to covet, we're not to worry. It's, you know, it's possible both to worry and to covet, to want everything you see. And it's hard not to, isn't it? How many emails do you get a day that are trying to sell you something? A hundred? Isn't it amazing? And sometimes they even put a picture in there or a description of what you need. And we used to you know, joke about it. Let's, let's run down to the mall to see what we need. Because that's exactly what's going on. But what we recognize in is that we don't have those kind of needs. We have Christ. Listen to verse 24. Consider the ravens. Now, as I said, they talked about <clears throat> sparrows before. They're nice little birds. Uh, and they weren't unclean. They weren't considered to be unclean. But ravens were unclean. They, would, they had no value to them at all. He says, consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap. They have no storeroom nor barn, and yet God feeds them. God feeds them. I don't know if you've noticed this in Scripture, but it says this all the time, that God is in control of his creation. And he's the one who feeds them. He says, how much more valuable you are than birds, and which of you by worrying can add a single hour to his lifespan? If then you cannot do even a very little thing, why do you worry about other matters? How much more valuable it is to have a relationship with God. This is kind of an argument from the lesser to the greater. If God takes care of sparrows, you think he'll take care of you. If he takes care of ravens, you know what a raven is. A raven is a bird that just never stops eating. You, do you have any kids that have a ravenous appetite? You remember Elijah when he went down by the brook Kirith and, he, and God sent him down there? There was a drought in the land. He goes down by this, this little stream and it's going to dry up, but he's down there and God sent ravens to feed him. Ravens brought him food. <laughs> brought him food. Now that's amazing because they are ravenous in their appetite and yet God used them to feed Elijah. See, God's more concerned about you than he is the birds that he feeds. Isn't that amazing? 
And of course, most of us, we're not worried about getting enough food. We're worried about not eating too much. We're all on diets. We just have too much, don't we? But still, the most important, the most valuable thing in all of life is your relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ. Listen to verse 27. Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. But I tell you, not even Solomon in all of his glory clothed himself like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the furnace, how much more will he clothe you, you men of little faith? Isn't it amazing how God decorates this earth? It's incredible, isn't it? And if he would do that, what is he going to do for you? You belong to him. So he gives this final example about the lilies here. The rich man in the world can't, can't possess clothes that are as beautiful as common flowers. Have you noticed that? So hard to find something. For people my age, it's so hard to find anything you can wear in a store. <laughs> and, and you would really like to buy clothes that make you look good. But, you're, but God is the one who clothes the, lilies, clothes the lilies of the field. Is he going to provide for you? I was really, I was fascinated with this letter from this young man who had gone to Uganda. And he's out in the rough. He's out, he went down to Bundabujo where they've, they've planted 13 churches. But this is, a, this is a tough area. I mean, it's way back there. And he's down there and, and having to live a life he's never lived before. Has never experienced before, and yet God's providing every step of the way. And he was so astounded at how God provides. Then the second contrast he makes here is a limited span of the flowers and the eternal life of disciples of Jesus Christ. We have eternal life. No, we're not going to get eternal life. We have eternal life when we believe on Christ. The Bible is really clear. When you come to faith in Christ, you receive eternal life. John 5, 11 and 12 says, this is eternal life. This is the record that God has given to us, eternal life. This life is in the Son. And whoever has the Son, whoever believes in the Lord Jesus Christ, has the life, the eternal life. And whoever does not have the Son does not have the life. It's a possession. It's a kind of life. And in fact, Jesus describes it this way in John 17, 3, when he's praying to the Father. He said, Father, this is eternal life, that they might know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you sent. It's so you can know God and know his Son. Isn't that something that you can fellowship with the Lord Jesus Christ, and through Christ you can fellowship with the Father, that he knows you, he knows your name? In fact, it says he knows every hair on your head. Now, some of you, you could probably count them, take a little time, uh, and some of you couldn't. But God knows exactly how many hairs you have on your head. He knows everything about you. When you go to the Father with a need, you go to somebody who's prejudiced towards you. He's for you. He wants to bless your life. The reason that Jesus told the rich young ruler, because the rich young ruler said, what do I have to do to inherit, inherit eternal life? And Jesus said, well, what does the law say? He said, love God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength, and love your neighbors yourself. He said, that's good. You, you only lack one thing. Now, how did Jesus know what he lacked? Because he could read his heart. And he says, here's what you lack. 
Go sell everything you have and give it to the poor and come and follow me. Now, he wasn't doing that to punish the guy. He was offering him the greatest life in all the world. Can you imagine what it would be like to follow Jesus? I know we follow Jesus, but imagine what it would be like at that time for him to receive this instruction from the Lord Jesus Christ, the King of glory, the Messiah of Israel. And he says to him, go sell everything you have, give it to the poor, and then come and follow me. (laughs) That would have been the most glorious life in all the world. And he says, that's all you lack. You just have the wrong God. Your God is your possessions. He was a rich man, and he loved his possessions. But he says, I can give you something better, me. There's nothing better than the Lord Jesus Christ. In fact, um, this is what Jesus says in verse 33. Sell your possessions and give to charity, which means give to those in need. Make yourself money belts which do not wear out. And what he means by that, your, in, in their case, money belts had the idea, this is where they put their money when they walked around. Sometimes it would develop holes and the money would fall out. With us, it's our bank accounts or maybe the hidden safe under your house. And he says, but there's only one place that you can invest in something that will never, ever, ever lose its value. And that's your investment in the kingdom of God. He says, you will receive an unfailing treasure in heaven where no thief comes near nor moth destroys. And then finally, verse 34, last verse in this section, he says, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. One time Steve Fernandez told me about a year before he died, he said, he quoted that verse to me, he says, you know, I realized the other day that there's a lot of things that I think, I think well of, but I don't, my heart's not there. He says, I think Billy Graham's, I really think highly of him, but I'd never give anything to him because that's not where my heart is. And if he were to go out, if the Billy Graham Association would go out of business next week, out of existence next week, I wouldn't grieve because it's not where my heart is. Where's your heart? Where is your heart? Where is your deepest affection? Where do you find the greatest joy? What is it that thrills your heart? I was watching this video of a young man who was uh, had a horrible uh, disability as a little child, and somebody took them under his wing and shared the gospel with him. He came, became a believer, and he sang in a choir at Brooklyn Tabernacle. It was one of those testimonies, and it was so moving because he was obviously very, very affected by this disability and the way he could speak and relate to people, but he sang in the choir... And he was talking about the incredible, incredible gift, the incredible treasure of being able to sing the praises of Jesus to the world. (laughs) He was able to express with his voice, even though he wasn't a great singer, he he could sort of stay on tune. And And he sang and he said, this is the most amazing thing that I could express my joy and love for Jesus Christ to the whole world. What a great privilege. It is a great privilege, isn't it? 
That's why I think every, every week we come together as God's people, whether it's here or in a home, and we pray together, we sing praises together. That's life. That's the real thing. It's amazing. And, and Jesus says, your, where your treasure is, that's where your heart's going to be. And so treasure him. When you sing, sing these songs of praise to Jesus, let it come from your heart. Let it touch your affections. Let it touch your emotions. It's okay if you get a little emotional. Do you know that God has emotions? The, the, five, uh, the five attributes of God that refer to his character are all emotions. They're affections. They're deep feelings. God has deep feelings, and he wants you your heart to be set free to praise him because you value him above all things. That's what he's called us to. I don't worry about people who get too expressive in their praise of Jesus. It doesn't bother me if somebody gets beside themselves praising the Lord Jesus Christ. What bothers me is Christians who never seem to be able to express any amount of affection or feelings towards the living God. And I wonder, wow, Have you ever experienced it? Have you ever experienced the reality of his presence in your life? Has he ever moved you to the point of tears? Have you ever wept over anything that had to do with the Lord Jesus Christ? That's one of the things uh, I'm often very moved about all of us in this body of believers who have children or grandchildren that we're praying for. And uh, we're really worried about them and we're concerned about them and we don't see anything happening in their life. I think, it's a, I think it's something that God does for you. He puts you in a position where you actually desire something that you cannot accomplish and you have to rely upon him and you have to call out to him. And your affections have to be impacted by this desire. I want God to move. I want him to save my children. I want him to save my grandchildren. I want him to open their hearts so they can see. You remember that song we sing, that first song? Open the eyes of my heart, Lord. Do you remember when that happened to you? And would it be something for God to do that to those that you're praying for that you care so much about and you you don't seem to see them making any kind of move? Do, Do you call upon his name? Do you weep before him? Is your heart ever broken over that? I pray that it would be. I pray that it would be. Because that's the richness of a relationship with a living God that you know he actually cares. And he he wants to give you even what you haven't asked for. He wants to give you the closest relationship in all of life. The Father wants you to know how much he loves you. The Bible is so clear about that. That God wants you to know and feel how much he loves you. And for it to be a motivating force in your life. For it to drive you along. And move you at a certain pace. So let me pray for you. Our Father, we bow our hearts now. We confess to you our greed and our worry. There are times when our hearts are so divided because of our worry over possessions and over things that we have and we're worried about them. But Father, we are so grateful for the confidence we have 
that you will never leave us or forsake us and that what you have given us can never be taken away. This eternal life that resides in us because we believed in the Lord Jesus Christ can never be taken away. And we thank you so much. I pray that you would move our hearts to come to you, to believe that you actually care about us. And the things that concern us concern you. Just like, you, like the Apostle Peter said, it matters to you about us. And so we plead with you today, Father, to move our hearts that we would have a freedom to come to you and pour out our hearts to you, Father, to express these deep needs that we feel. I know there are believers here who are facing great, great difficulties, things in the lives of those they love that are not going right. And I pray, Father, that you would just fill their heart with hope because they know you and they can call upon you. And they can appeal to you because you're the God who loves us beyond our ability to even measure. So we pray that you would take your word and implant it deeply in our hearts. Help us, oh Father, to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, to please you in all respects as we experience joy inexpressible and full of glory. Thank you so much for making us a local church, of putting us together so that we can love each other, so that we can share burdens with each other so that we can call upon your name, so that we can pray for one another. I pray that you would give us wisdom as as Chris was appealing to us to pray together and call upon your name and ask you, God, give us wisdom. Show us the, the way that you want us to go in completing this building so that we could use it for the glory of Christ in this world. Oh God, we pray that you would draw us together, make us a praying church, I pray. You have commanded us to pray, and I pray that we would obey that command, that we would bring great, it would bring great delight to our hearts to do that very thing. Father, we love you, and we thank you, and we give ourselves to you today, and we know we are in good hands. Thank you so much for your grace towards us and for your word that's such an encouragement to us, and we thank you in Jesus' name. to this message or learn more, please visit calvarytruth.org.